0: I'm Nelson, lead pastor, and the message that we proclaim here, week after week, is uh, good news, in Christ Jesus, uh, God in heaven has reached out to you and redeemed your life, and so we don't have to stand in accusation any longer, but we've been forgiven When Christ died on the cross, he died to forgive yours and my sins. And then he rose to new and everlasting life. And we are joined to that forgiveness and to that new life by faith. It is a free gift. And so the reason that we gather is that these things have become real to us through faith. And we've received them. And we want to pass them on. And the other thing I want to say is that if you've just made it here this morning, then well done. Um, You are in a place where you can be renewed and restored in the forgiveness and the mercy and the love of God. The video that we saw earlier was done by uh, a college student. Charlotte Harrison, who is a junior at Belmont College, and we thank Charlotte for putting all the hours in to create that video. And our sermon series, as some of you may know, is entitled Epic. And we've been uh, on this journey, and we've been saying that it's a dignified longing uh, to want to make our lives and our small stories memorable and great, and there's something in us. It's part of our dignity, but the problem is that life goes along. You know, some of you are young, and your lives are just starting out, and some of you have a few years on you, but as life goes along, what happens is uh, things come that represent a bend in the road, and there were things that you weren't expecting, and there are things that you didn't plan on, and there are choices that you've made that you look back on, and you're tempted to regret, And so we're wondering, are we living God's plan A? And so the thesis, really, of this series is uh, that everybody is living God's plan A, uh, and it's not really about our small stories. The epic story, the meaningful story, the story of purpose, is the story that has been joined to the epic story of the salvation of God. And so what it means to be a Christian is that we are invited into this bigger story, this story that is beyond us, and we're learning through the book of Acts about what that is like. And today, we're looking at this idea of being center stage. And what we're saying is that there's a tendency in all of us to wanna to take center stage. Now, we think we have to, we think it's unavoidable. That's the way that life works, right? We have to bring ourselves notice. And we have to uh, show people that we matter. And so we think that's how life works. And so we all uh, gravitate towards center stage because we think it's unavoidable and we have to. And some of you might say, well, I'm not a center stage person. I'm a behind the scenes person. Um but the story the Bible tells is that we all really desire to be in the center. So the story the Bible tells is that in the beginning, uh, God gave us this flourishing garden. And He said that you can eat from any of the trees, and there were two trees in the center of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, "You can enjoy all the trees. But in the center of the garden, really, this is my rightful place. But some of you know the story. Uh, What happened is that the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they sought to usurp God's rightful place. And so they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so it was an offense. Original sin was an offense of location. It was an offense of who really is meant to be center stage. And what we're going to learn today is... Uh, and let me just say one more thing. I find, you know, football season is starting, and I always find it interesting to hear stories of famous people like movie stars. And I heard us quote recently of Tom Brady, who's like the greatest of all time, right? And we think in football, and we think we think, well, surely he has made his small story great, right? Surely he's living an epic life. Everybody knows his name. He can really have or do whatever he wants. But as many of you know, and you've seen this time and time again, all these famous people, you see the story behind the story, and they say, I could not fill my life myself. And so they are still searching. And this is why famous people sometimes get involved in humanitarian efforts. It's because they're still searching, they're still longing for something bigger than themselves. And so we're saying that 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 something bigger is found in the epic story of God. And what we're saying today is that the only way to fill our lives is to let Jesus take center stage. So please turn in your Bibles or your worship guides to Acts chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 to 31, we're doing larger chunks, the reading itself is very important, so let's pray. Spirit of Christ, we pray that you would enable us to uh, meet uh, the Lord Jesus in the reading of the word and to see him, and that we would respond with love and obedience. So, Holy Spirit, fill us and open our eyes to what is here. In Christ's name, amen. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, hear the word of the Lord.
1: The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them,
0: Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved.
1: When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men... After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God.
2: Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus.
1: After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God boldly.
0: The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, this is our latest installment of the birth of the church. That's what Acts is. And you have these leaders in the church. And it says in verse 3 that Peter and John were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they had a message, and it was a message of the resurrected Christ. That was it. Sometimes we think that the early church was birthed when people were talking about what Jesus taught. No, they were talking about what happened. They were testifying to the resurrected Christ. And so the church is spreading, it says. It's growing. Verse 4 says the number of men grew from three to 5,000. So the church is, is spreading. It's growing. And so something had happened. If you were with us last week, Peter and John had healed a man who had been formerly lame. And so this was a big deal. And so the priests and the captain of the temple guard uh, and the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, they come up to Peter and John, and they throw them in jail. And I think that's kind of a bitter pill, because recall, uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, I'm leaving earth. And after I ascend, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And so the church is going to be Pentecostal. That is, you're now going to be me in the world. And so that's what happened. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to proclaim Jesus as the resurrected one. And so he had said, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when you come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. But the bewildering thing is, then they were persecuted, and we probably say to ourselves, well, what gives God? Persecution came from within the church, and persecution came from outside of the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote from a Nazi jail cell in 1937, and he said, suffering is the badge of the true Christian. The disciple is not above his master. So the church grew, and the scene is intensifying. Uh, Luke says Annas and Caiaphas are there, and you need to know that Annas and Annas and Caiaphas are heavy hitters. Annas was the high priest, the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies, and Caiaphas was his predecessor. and so they they had Peter uh, brought to them before them the next day, and here's sort of the crucial thing. so they're sort of like in this chapter the preliminary and then there's the climax and there's the aftermath and the prayer and this is all the preliminary but now here comes the climax they had Peter and John brought to them and they say look at verse 7 by what power or what name did you do this now here's the thing Uh, Peter and John were not hesitant to take center stage and again it's in our human nature Uh, Nobody has to teach a small child uh, how to be egocentric, and nobody has to teach us either. And Peter and John were the same. And so you take Peter, and they were part of the apostles, and we find in Matthew 14, verse 22, when Jesus was walking on water, who jumped out of the boat to join him? It was Peter. Peter was saying, you know, watch everybody, I can do this too. So Peter jumps out of the boat, and he walks on water. And there's John, and in Mark 10, James and John came to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Just get a load of that. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus said. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand, and the other at your left hand, in your glory. So Peter and John were no wallflowers, and here John is saying... Hey, I really want it to be a threesome, the three J's. Not just Jesus, but Jesus, James, and John. We want to share in your glory. So the point is that they are representatives, really, of humanity, that we all, our tendency, our gravitational pull is to assume center stage. And we think we have to. I think one of the things about the Garden of Eden is is we think, well, maybe God has abandoned us. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe I really do have to go it alone. And so we think, oh, i got to assume the center because nobody else is going to help me if I don't. And so Peter and John are trying to make their small lives great. So there's this question, by what power or name did you do this? And so Peter answers in verse 8, and he says, Rulers and elders of the people, if we were being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, how was he healed... Then know this. And see, Peter's very emphatic here. He says, you and all the people of Israel. And I think with this build-up, we might assume that Peter is going to say, well, I did it. Didn't you see me? There was nobody else there. I was the one who reached out to the lame man and told him to stand. I was the one who uttered the words. I was the one center stage. That would have been in keeping with brash Peter. But how did Peter answer? He says, no. Verse 10, he says, know this, you and all the people of Israel. Here it is. It was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I picture him pointing his finger at the leaders at this point, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Well, this is the climactic moment, and what we're learning is, you know, some, some people are offended by this, the ex- exclusivity, but Peter was, a, was assured of this, and so something had been birthed in Peter. Where was the old Peter? Some kind of exchange had happened in his heart. Somebody else was now center stage. Peter seemed to understand that the only way to make his small story great was for Jesus to assume center stage. And so I think this is what happens when we are converted to Christianity. Um, There's a new relationship, a new Lord, a new Savior, a new King who is on the throne, and a new dependence and a new trust. And so something new has been birthed in Peter's heart, and it relates to who's in the center. Some of you know the name John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. And prior to Jesus starting his public ministry, one of the things John the Baptist said was this. He said, and it's curious, because we've heard it in the Bible, but if we were just to read it, we would go, Huh? Um, But he said, he, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. You know, what a counterintuitive thing. And yet, for those who have been, who experienced the new birth, those who've experienced the new life, this is what begins to show up. It's a counterintuitive formulation. And it's a reversal of the sin of the garden. It's really saying, uh, Lord, I'm going to... You are now enthroned in my life. You, I want you to have your rightful place. It's a reversal of the violation uh, of the garden, of eating of of the tree in the middle of the garden. And it's also a reversal of the lie that it's all up to me. So this was now Peter's perspective. He must become greater and I must become less. And so this uh, is what animates our Founders Day celebration, and it's really what animates our journey as a church. And leading up to today, we invited you to share a word or a phrase that sums up how you've seen the Lord at work since this journey began, and here are your responses. You said, the Lord has been faithful to Community West the whole way. Someone else said, his sustaining grace. Someone else said he's been faithful to provide the right people, gifts, resources, and finances to grow his church and when they, have been, when they have been needed most. Somebody else said just what we've needed at just the right time. Somebody else said we've been carried by the Spirit. And finally, he's provided new friends in the faith. See, I think what we're learning in this text, Peter is beginning to see um, that there's our part And then there's the Lord's part. The Lord's part is to produce such a great salvation. The Lord's part is to express the Father's love. The Lord's part is to grow the church through the power of His Spirit that now lives in believers. And our part is just to do uh, certain other things. And so Peter is out there, and it says they were unschooled and ordinary men that means that they didn't have rabbinic teaching but he's out there with courage and he's speaking and he's proclaiming and he's leaving the results up to God and so that's the that's the difference Jesus is now center stage in Peter's life you know there's a verse in first Peter 2 and it says Uh, It's in the King James Version, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness. By his stripes you were healed. And I noticed that this week, and I noted how they said uh, that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And it made me think of the sin of the garden. It was a sin of the tree. And some people, scholars have said that the second tree in the middle of the garden was the tree of life. And it was a preview of the cross. And finally, all the way in Revelation, it says, we will eat from the tree of life in paradise. And so what's happening here is uh, sort of a redemption of the tree. On the tree, uh, Jesus died to forgive And to redeem sinful humanity. And so we trust in his life. And we trust in his death. And we trust in his resurrection. And we trust that we by faith are joined to it. So John and Peter seem to grasp there is their part and the Lord's part. And the Lord's part is so much greater than their part. Because the Lord is a redeemer. And the Lord loves and forgives. So we are um, leading into the fall as a church. We're continuing the journey, and there are special things we have planned. We'll tell you more about special speakers who are coming. We have home groups starting up. We have some new mid-sized groups that are starting. And so pay attention to your Community West news. And really, I would encourage you to be a joiner. Mary said something about home groups, just try one. You don't have to join it, but just try one or two and see if it's right for you. But the journey continues. And one of the things that we're doing in the fall is we're returning to our two-service rhythm. We'll have services, beginning September 10th, we'll have services at nine o'clock and 10.30. And the thing that I want, some people will love a 10.30 service, Uh, And some people love a nine o'clock service. And uh, here's the thing. We don't know how it's going to go. It's a very uncertain step in a way. Uh, We're very clear uh, there's our part and the Lord's part. Now, in the wisdom of our session, what we understand is that we are able to structure to reach more people if we provide more options because people prefer options. And so we will reach more people when, we have, when we're able to offer more options. That's our part. That's what we know. Now, when in the life of a church does that best happen? Uh, we know it's not doesn't best happen when you sort of grow a church full and then do it. That's not the best time. You have to preempt that. And you have to begin... Um, and you have to structure in a sense earlier than when you began implicitly turning people away by the size of the first service. And so in one sense, we're preempting it, uh, but we're doing it and we believe it's our part. And so we uh, are coming around a phrase that you've heard, drawn together and led to ask. And the idea is uh, that we really want uh, those of you, and I realize that I'm sp- there's some new people here today, but I'm really speaking to covenant partners and regular attenders, that we're really asking you to make one of the Sunday gatherings a priority, and in-person in- Sunday gatherings a priority, because your presence matters. It matters to you, it matters to other people, and it matters to God. And we only know how much it means to be here when we've missed, and we realize, wow, I missed out on something. And so we come and we realize that the Spirit drew us here. Mary said that in the morning, this morning. The Spirit drew us here, and it was good to be together. It was beautiful. We were nourished in the hope of the gospel. And so we're taking um, our, doing our part with respect to filling the empty seats and making our services full and flourishing. And so we're saying, on the one hand, we're drawn together. We're also led to ask, and that's also a work of the Spirit, We've looked at the power of the invitation and we know that invitations are just love. And Peter and John were out there and they were proclaiming the resurrected Christ and we need to be proclaiming the resurrected Christ. And one way we can do that is just invite people here where they can hear the same message. So we are doing our part drawn together led to ask, your presence matters and your invitations make a difference going into the fall. So we're asking you um, to just be part of the unity of the spirit and the momentum that the spirit is building as we go into the fall. But we recognize uh, that this isn't our deal. Uh, We do our part. Um, The session leads according to its wisdom. Uh, But we realize this is the Lord's deal. He is center stage. To him be all the glory. So this is what was happening in the early church, and they were unschooled, ordinary men, and it says that the leaders took note that these men had been with Jesus, and it's a curious phrase. It made me think of what happens when Jesus takes center stage. It's a new relationship, and it's a new intimacy, and there's so much that we need that's firsthand. Uh, too f- many of us get most of our information about Jesus secondhand. But there's firsthand intimacy through prayer and Bible reading, fasting and the other disciplines. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. He said, God made us, invented us as a man invents a machine, an engine, an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself, because it is not there. There is no such thing. So it looked like they had been with Jesus. And wouldn't we long for Community West Church to something that characterizes us going into the future is that we are people about whom others say, Wow, that they have been with Jesus. So there's the preliminary and the climax, then there's the aftermath. The religious leaders confer and they say, Stop proclaiming the resurrected Jesus. Um, Peter and John come back and just in all courage and bravery, they say, what is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to Him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So here's the thing. This thing was going out. And it was going out by the power of the Spirit. And it wasn't because they felt they had to do these things. It wasn't that they were checking some religious box Peter was saying, "Don't you see? We're not sharing because we have to share. We're sharing because we want to share. It's bursting out of us, the new life." And so that's what we long for at Community West. And then finally, uh, the leaders let John, Peter, and John go, and they end with the prayer. And the prayer begins. Uh, they address God as Sovereign Lord. And Charles Ryrie writes that this is not the usual word for Lord, but the one from which comes the English word despot. And it's used of the absolute relationship of a master to his slaves. And then they start to see slavery is a welcome thing when we've known the love of Jesus. It's a welcome thing. We want to be the slaves of Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans, because that means we're not slaves to sin. And so they recognize the power of the Creator God. It's not their own. And they do not ask the Lord to relieve the threats from the opposition, but for the boldness to continue to testify and for confirmation of their message by signs and wonders. And then the passage concludes, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So going into the new year, um, that really is my prayer, is that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would be led by the Holy Spirit. We've said the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And I would ask you to join me, pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, the life of the Spirit in this church. And I'm going to invite the band to come on up. pray with me, when you pray in the mornings, pray for the life of the Spirit. We are just chaff beating the wind if the Spirit doesn't fill us and lead us and provide the life and point and give all the glory to the Lord Jesus. So we're going to close. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to uh, close with prayer and praise. So will you join me? We're going to respond with prayer and praise. Thank you, Father. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, this hasn't been the journey of this church hasn't been our deal. It's been your deal. And so we uh, give you all the glory, and we've been overmatched at every turn, and we can't be certain what the future holds. But we are simply uh, trying to follow your lead, and we're trying to follow the prompting and the wisdom and the leading of the Spirit. And so we pray that you would, uh, you would fill us and lead us as a church, that we might give the Lord Jesus all the honor, glory, and praise. In whose name we pray, amen.